You're listening to the Footprint Coalition's Downstream channel. Today, we're talking about how technology can help make buildings and cities more resilient and more sustainable. Robert and Rachel, please welcome Sandeep Ahuja. Sandeep is the co-founder of Cove Tool, a new startup developing software and services that integrates geospatial data to provide architects and developers with the most sustainable and energy efficient options for commercial building design. Over 11,000 projects in 22 different countries have been built using Cove Tool, which reduces the energy footprint of these developments from day one. Sandeep, thank you so much. There she is. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This is so cool. I've been bragging about it all week too. Pretty much everybody uh. knows. <laughs> So you founded Cove Tool, which we're very excited about. And I've been over and over the website. It's beautiful. It's so cool and functional. But can you just tell us how Cove Tool works generally so we can uh, we can have the, the bigger conversation about it? Yeah, for sure. So super high level. Um, buildings are 40% of all carbon emissions. Um, I always say it as often as I can because people don't assume it. Because a lot of times, unless they're industries, they're not fuming out gas. Um, but because there's such a big deal, it's a multi-sided problem and we all have to solve it together. It's architects, engineers, contractors that need to all come together to figure out how to reduce the overall carbon emissions. The problem is that currently everybody works in a completely different way and everybody uses a different software, everybody uses a different workflow, and there's no way to really put it together. And that's what Cove Tool does it not only allows everybody to use the same language, use the same ways of working together, but also uses machine learning and automation to give really smart, immediate uh, performance related data. Like something that would have taken like, I don't know, two months in the previous like pre cove tool era, you would know now immediately, it would tell you how much energy is your building gonna use? How much daylight are you gonna have? How much glare are you gonna have? And more importantly, how much is it going to cost and how can you balance that cost? So it's right. it kind of does that all real time, which is super exciting. So it's not quite Jarvis level, but it's, it's getting there. <laughs> well, look, it's real. So I want to know a little bit about just your origin story in this, uh, in this epic tale. And then ultimately what series of events led you to start the company? Oh gosh. Um, for me, um, I'll start not, too long ago, but I'll start um, just with kind of the direction of my life. With my dad being a diplomat, we basically packed our bags and moved to a new country every four years. And no matter what country we moved to, because we went to Russia, Saudi Arabia, Tanzania, uh, India, which is where I'm ethnically from, um, it was the buildings kind of all looked the same. Sure, the, the houses were different, but all the office towers, they looked exactly the same. And that's what got me excited to become an architect to better understand what's going on. Long behold, I became an architect and I wanted to be a sustainable architect to fight climate change. I realized I had no idea how to do that. So I became a sustainability expert, started my consulting practice with my co-founder and we could only do about 50 projects a year because that's how many two humans can do with a team manually because that's just what the workflows look like. And we could only do it for projects that could afford expensive consultants. Mm -hmm. And we basically wanted to figure out a way to democratize it, to make it so that everybody can do it. So we started writing little tiny scripts as part of our consulting practice and had my third co-founder, Daniel, to come collaborate with us and actually make a scalable app to solve the whole problem. Because 50 buildings, 
done by a team of expensive consultants is not the solution to fighting climate change. We have to all be in it together and it has to be democratized. Mm -hmm. It's so funny too. They talk about, you know, well, you know what, this is an intermediary step and you go, we don't have time for those. And speaking of things we don't have time for, I did get to know Zaha Hadid a little bit. I was fortunate to uh, spend a bit of time with her on several occasions. And you want to talk about an industry that is inherently biased towards women becoming an authority in it. It is ripe for takeover. My gosh. And it's so strange, too, because, and not to overspecify, but the yin nature of of creating and, and being able to visualize. And uh, I, mean, I mean, you would think uh, that it would have changed sooner. How do you see that space shifting now? And would you like to vent any frustration? We can always cut it out if you uh, if if expletives if expletives flow out of your mouth. We can always bleep them out. This is the time to vent. Um, <laughs> it is. I, I I would want to say that it's getting better, but it is a lie. I mean, I know that there's definitely some recent changes that AI American Institute of Architects has done to get more equity, whether it's you know like gender or racial diversity, like really all of the above uh, to, to bring more of that. But when I was a consultant, I was the only woman in pretty much every room that I went to. Mm. When I was an architect, I was definitely the only woman that I went to any room. It's not different for startups either. When I went to raise capital um, for my startup, pretty much entirely all male investors. When I went to startup battles to do pitch offs, I was the only woman in almost every room. So there's definitely a lot of work to be done, but I think it matters. Like what you're doing, Rachel, what you're doing, Robert, what I'm trying to do. Like, I think if I am successful, I can encourage or at least help other women do the same, which is exactly what I learned from Zaha too. Like she was my icon. She mm -hmm. still is. I, I was that person who looked up to her and be like, oh, she's the coolest. That's what I want to do. So the more yeah. the merrier. Yeah, and I imagine not for you so much because you seem very strong and excited and like energized to do your thing. But uh, for some people, it's hard to be the person pitching to everyone who doesn't look like them. So, you know, I would think that that, that has been a hindrance maybe historically. Definitely. I think it helps that I'm a very numbers person. So right when we did like even, for example, when we we're raising capital or even when I was doing the pitches, I knew that women only get 2% of all capital in venture capital. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, so if my male counterpart has to do X meetings, how many meetings do I got to do I got to do to make it happen? And I was prepared for it. I was like, well, if I have to do 100, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do as many as I need to make it happen. So mm -hmm. we just got to keep making it happen. Yeah. I heard Jack Dangermond actually mention something about it um, in some of the geo design work as well to try to diversify the field. So and, and we were talking to him a little earlier. Do you do you cross over with them? Do you work with them a lot? And, or like, where do you get the inputs for understanding how you optimize stuff? Yeah, definitely. We don't work with them a lot directly. However, the inputs that we're working with are definitely similar. For example, if if you're trying to optimize your house in, in Malibu, in California, where, wherever you're currently located, I'm not entirely sure. But if you're, let's say, trying to optimize your house, you basically type in your address and the platform would automatically understand 
What are your local regulations? What kind of weather is prevalent, you know, where you're at? What are your neighbors' houses look like? Where are they? How much shadow are they gonna cast on your house? How does the sun move? And then it gives you real-time performance input, like does your kitchen have enough daylight if it's facing east? Or should you spend money on getting better windows? Or should you just spend money on getting solar panels? What is more cost-effective? And then if you set a target that, hey, I want to be carbon neutral, or hey, I just want to be just code minimum, or hey, I want to be 10% better, just wherever your spectrum is, it'll be like, okay, I've looked through a thousand options and the lowest cost way to get there is get better windows, put some shades on it, don't bother changing out your roof. And that is the most cost optimal solution. So it definitely pulls in a lot from what's already there and it just automates it. So funny. I, I literally, I think about six months ago, I was, I was, it came up somewhere that somebody needs to be doing this. And then when our new close associate, Jonathan Schieber said, yeah, it's done. She's nailing it. It's beyond vetted and you need to get to know her. I really, really, really want to do any and everything I can to support this because these are the kinds of solutions that if all I have to do is, is come to you, tell you where I am, and all of a sudden you're giving me a multiple choice menu of then re-empowering me to make the decisions based on my best thinking, it helps me feel smarter for having asked you to help me, which almost never happens. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, just so you know, we are uh, we are currently in, well, I'm in Venice. It's something Robert and I go back and forth about right now because he's not here on site. He's in... Uh, yeah, so I'm in East Hampton. Uh, Rachel's on the west side in LA. Uh, we work in Venice and I mean, the family reside largely in Malibu. So I really want to encourage everybody to, and we'll do some follow-up. You want to reach out, get involved, get the data. Uh, it's so simple. And um, and tell us what you thought, uh, what uh, based on what you thought the recommendations would or wouldn't be, how they came across. And we'd love to use this as a uh, little mini highway of, yeah. uh, of info and feedback. I think we could really use this in a couple of places. Yeah. With tons of projects, more, more the merrier. We really need this for every single one. Like I keep saying, it's a 10-year time clock. That's all that we have to make this climate change thing happen. Like if we want a world where we're not having pandemics happen often, where we're not, you know, experiencing crazy temperature swings, we only have 10 years, the clock is ticking. Let's do it yesterday. Cause mm -hmm. especially with buildings, cause once you put them in the ground, they typically will stick around for a little while. What's the coolest thing someone's done with your software? Because we're going to beat it. We're going to be cooler. There's a lot of cool, um, well, I get excited really, really um, fast, which is, I, I guess that's what you get in a founder. I'm always excited. But I thought the coolest thing that I got to see, and maybe it's a little bit more personal to me, is uh, when my alma mater, Georgia Tech, they kind of came full circle. They uh, upgraded their student center and they upgraded with, with Cove Tool. And I thought what was interesting was that the platform gave them a recommendation that do not demo the existing student center renovate it because not only was it going to be more cost effective it was going to be more carbon efficient mm -hmm. because of course the moment we take down what there is the wasted the carbon for every single material building block that went into it 
So it actually told them, open up some spaces, reuse part of it, demo some of it. And that is the most cost optimal, energy optimal solution. And I, I thought that was super cool. I couldn't agree with that more because sometimes you, you're doing more damage in the short and midterm by thinking I need to start over. And I think that's really in some ways true for the challenge and the crisis is we don't need to change everything. We just need to change the right thing. So let's imagine a Cove tool doing great in wild success. How do you build this out? What's next? What would a three to five year brass ring business plan look like for y'all and impact? I think in the way that as we continue to grow, where it would be truly successful and impactful would be in the amount of carbon emissions that we've offset. For example, in just the last couple of years, we've done 5.7 million tons of carbon emissions that the platform has helped offset. That's equivalent, like one office building, just one building is equivalent to planting about 10,000 trees every single year for 10 years. We have 16,000 projects on it. So just to kind of talk about the sheer um, amount of impact buildings can make. So the way that I see a successful future is that every single building is designed with data. People are not guessing that they have been for a while. People have been guessing for a while. People do design buildings without any data because it's expensive, it's time consuming. Nobody's got that. However, the codes are super stringent where y'all, where you're in New York or where you're in California, codes are super stringent. Where even I'm in Georgia, codes are super stringent. So we kind of don't have an option. We can't do it the old fashioned, bad, no data way. It's just like we have nutrition labels for every food product. We have nutrition labels for every building that gets renovated, every building that gets built so that people that are living or occupying or working in these spaces or you know passing through these spaces just like we can determine that, oh, we don't want to eat that product because I'm laying low on carbs or I'm not, I can't do that because that's the thing I'm cutting off on. Mm-hmm. Well, we can do exactly that same thing with buildings. We can just stop trying to occupy buildings that don't follow these nutrition labels and have enough pressure because that's what we got to do together. So that's, that's how I see it. Mm-hmm. Long term, where does your passion just for architecture and, and, drawing up the designs for structures fall into your your bucket list not high i think having great data-driven design to me is way more important than putting shapes together i realized in into my architectural career that while um i enjoyed the act of design i enjoyed the act of analyzing design and making sure that it was a good design was (laughs) way more me than actually being like, oh, aesthetically, that's appealing. I'm like, somebody else can do that. I'll tell you if it works. Yeah, I, I was saying uh, earlier that I'm not an architecture nerd. Like, I don't have a lot of uh, yeah people at my disposal when you, when I think of architects. Um, but I really do appreciate good land use. Like, there's a park near us in Santa Monica called Tongva Park, which was designed with these really wild looking um kind of like beehive structures almost and you from the street you're just like that's just weird and an odd shape and it doesn't make any sense but when you go into the park and you stand behind these structures and you look through this hole that's sort of uh created in in the opening you realize what they're doing is they're just obscuring all the buildings around and you see straight to the ocean 
And I was like, that's actually very cool. That's a, that's a neat thing. And, and, uh, you know, could be done probably equally well environmentally a couple different ways, but just the idea that it, it puts you closer to the nature because you're in a city park is a, is a pretty awesome thing. And I think some of that is what we should be going for, right? We either figure out how to integrate nature into what we're building and allow it to, you know, not interrupt migratory corridors, things like that. But also, you know, you could figure out ways to live better and, and with better city planning, obviously, and then leave the nature parts of uh, parks and things like that to themselves. And so I think we could just have so much lighter of a footprint than we currently do. Just one note I wanted to add to that is, especially since you talk about city parks, like that's also starting to be more and more a big deal in our codes now, where because you can build towers all day long and these towers tend to put shadow, tend to block the amount of solar access that we have in these city parks. Again, that's that's what data does to help the local regulators to be like, okay, no, you can't put that tower there because it's completely going to block everything in that beautiful park. Mm-hmm. So can Cove Tool be used off-planet habitats elsewhere do you believe that a part of the legacy will be that this is how does this interface with uh putting a colony on mars i think now that anytime now that it's becoming more and more real we really have to start thinking about it we've done it the wrong way here for a while we can start the right way for sure and continue to make sure that the tools and processes that we're coming up with do work interplanetary. So we actually did do a study where we were designing a Mars colony and we wanted to see if we could use the same tools on Mars. And what we realized when we when we designed a building on Mars, well, it helps that they're kind of similar. So Mars and Earth both have the 24-ish hour day. So that helps with the simulation. Um, for example, Mars is similar, like climatically, it's similar to the North Pole in terms of temperature. Um, in terms of daylighting, it's about 60% less than Earth. So the same building, when we were designing it for Mars, we just knew that it needed to have bigger windows because it needs to attract more, not just wow. sunlight or daylighting, but also heat. Mm-hmm. Because we need that heat if we're designing a colony on, map, on Mars. And we were able to figure out a way to get it to be completely net zero to be able to work on just really efficient solar panels. So it's definitely possible and it's definitely something we need to be thinking about as we think about developing more on mars speaking of things to think about um who are some other women in uh ancillary fields or that you also feel are deserving of being uh spotlighted or that you feel are contemporaries and uh compatriots of yours i think of course we already talked about zaha she was definitely a role model, somebody I looked up to pretty much, um, pretty much as long as I can remember. Um, there's also a lot of um, local Atlanta entrepreneurs. There's one called Tanya Sams. Like, not only was she an entrepreneur and she made her company happen, now she started a venture fund that focuses on women. It's an Atlanta-based fund, and I think that's I think that's really cool. What do you think, you know, with respect to Atlanta specifically, is there anything cool happening there? I mean, it's, I know that it's there's a lot of development, of course, and it seems like a great place to be technologically. What else? Why, why Atlanta? I read the, the perfect piece to answer that question. John actually wrote it, um, John Schieber. It's why are all these billion dollar companies coming out of Atlanta? 
I think yeah. it answers it really, really well. There's a there's a big growing community and it's a very diverse community. And that's definitely very, very unique to Atlanta. We've got tons of really awesome schools that of course create and bring on all the talent. And I mean, it's not as tight. I mean, you can actually still have a cost of living, which you need when you're a founder because you don't have a lot of money a lot of times because you're bootstrapping it. Mm -hmm. So it, it helps. There's a lot of things that work in our favor. Like it helped me to not have to pay San Francisco rents while I was working on my startup. Heck, I mean, I don't want to pay that right now. So <laughs> right. it's interesting, too, because Atlanta's geography and the the street grid and town and system, an amazing and, and storied and in, in many ways uh, uh, less than ideal history. But nonetheless, there you are with this city that was really ripe to become an epicenter. Um, and then the geo design of it, whether I always found myself drawn to, uh, I think it's called Little Five Points because it's just funky and cool. But then the the belt line came up and you realize that where the railroad tracks were, where this was, was natural to. And I think because, and I think we could say this politically in the last couple years, and I think we could also say it just energetically, it was a place um, different to Detroit um, because it always had a certain status quo that it was able to maintain. Uh, and it's always had big business down there. But there has been this kind of Phoenix Renaissance uh, mentality where it's becoming, and rightfully so, super competitive across the board, just like you were saying. I, I've been hearing about your fella. Tell me about uh, Patrick. Um, I so relate to co-founders and partners. That's really um, Rachel and I here and, and my Mrs. Susan and I in, in uh, other industries. Tell us a little bit about the importance and the synergy of your partnership with Patrick. I mean, I think it's everything. Like we're, yeah. it helps that we're very, very different people. Um, he's also as a background in architecture and he also was a sustainability expert, which is kind of how we met. But like you asked, where does architecture lie in the priorities of, um, of everything? Where I am all data and all numbers now uh, it lies pretty high on his priority. So we're just very, very different people, which is so awesome. Great. And we met working, we fell in love working, we've been always working. And I think it's just so cool that we've always just had that same rule that when we're off work, we turn work off. There's no, um, there's no cove tool chat po post 9 p.m. Unless we're raising and then, you know, we're working at 9 p.m. or whatever, but. Right. But isn't it kind of like catnip? Like, I'll find with me and the missus, sometimes it's just the right amount of kind of lunch chat or she gets an inspiration. And sometimes I'm deep in my iPad and I'm like, how oh, dare. But there's this thing where the dialogue, the creative engine that happens between the two of you, it sometimes taps you on the shoulder and goes, oh, bring this up. <laughs> that happened. I mean, that happened last night. We came back from 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 dinner and it's um, Saturday night. So we're not technically supposed to talk about work, but it just kind of moved both of us. And we were all we were both really feeling it. We just needed to make a decision and we needed to talk it out. And that was the only time. And we were both like in the right frame of mind to have that conversation. So, yes, it's it's possible, but not ideal. Like it, I would go crazy. He would go crazy, too. 
Boundaries yeah, are good. Like, yes, yeah, so like I'll put the, it uh, that way. The thing of like, who's going to toe dip into this area today? Where this is our free time. <laughs> Should I, if I mention this and I don't get a lot of uh, feedback, I'm going to go the other direction. My husband and I have worked together for a long time as well. Um, yeah. and you have to be careful. I wouldn't have it any other way though. Like it, it works so well. Yeah. Rowing in the same direction is pretty great for partners. Yeah. You'll get a lot more done too. I feel like on the climate thing, probably two, two heads. Yeah. A thousand percent. And yeah. I mean, because it's such a major problem, we both will have times where we're struggling that, oh my gosh, this climate problem. I know that we're going, I know we're doing as hard as we can go, but is it going to be fast enough? Are we going to be able to make the impact at the yep. pace that we need to, to, to fight climate change? We just got to support each other. Like we're just going to keep pushing as hard as we humanly can and we'll make it happen. Well, I mean, I have several favors to ask. Uh, one is, uh, Rachel, as you know, Silent Bob will be supplanted. I'll be back uh, sooner Thank than God. later for uh, episode four. And I really want to implement Cove Tool and really uh, be a bit of a uh, test subject. And also, Sandeep, please let us know as you follow as, as, as often as you can, given your, your busy life and schedule and, and your, your own uh, mission, uh, let us know what we at Footprint can do, uh, maybe some things that we want to take a look at or partnerships that we can build as we go forth. And um, I want to say for uh, everybody else, the entirety of our um, of our time here with Sandeep, we're going to string that out and make sure you can hear every word of it. I love that we got a little bit into the personal, you know, it's fun to... Um, let our hair down just a little bit because I think there's a whole other area of of deep dive which is just about the partnerships that that really are they're like you said they are everything even though they don't come up a lot when we're working on on brand and the sustainability of our own just like work you know so I really appreciate that and I want to I want to thank you for being so candid with us and uh and Godspeed to you, ma'am. You you, you you deserve to have the wind at your back. I appreciate you guys so much for getting the word out. We need so much more of it. I appreciate I appreciate this a lot. Thank you. Kropa, final word to you? Oh, you know, I always kind of just like to come up with one random thing. Um, I was going to ask, actually, if, if there's any sort of uh, trend that you see that that people using this tool have said, oh, we must actually have this product or we must implement this specific thing. This is where I'm sort of like my own mother. Like she, she's, she wants to hang up the phone or I want to hang up the phone and then someone comes back with like another question. <laughs> That's hilarious. Every um, time. To your question a little bit more specifically, one thing I have definitely noticed is that, it, which is a really positive and exciting trend, is that it spreads really, really fast. For example, Firms that like architectural engineering firms or construction firms that have never thought about it or never considered incorporating data, but now are forced to do so or are thinking about it just to even stay competitive, stay relevant, or because they actually have climate uh, change goals like we do, which whatever the reason might be, when they dip their toe, like they'll, they'll go in with the pinky and they'll dip the toe and they'll be like, hmm, okay, how warm is the water? And... They, they'll dip the foot and then they'll jump right in. And it's like literally a two month period from when a firm is like, are we interested? But the moment they start dipping their toe in because it is intuitive and it is easy to implement, people are implementing across every single project. And then we see data like a year later 
like 99, 100% of a firm's projects were optimized, which is just so mind boggling and exciting for me. Cause it's like, yeah, last year you had zero. Now you have 100%. Yes, let's keep doing more. <laughs> Intuitive and easy to implement. Uh, nice. All right, well, I will continue taking notes and keeping tabs on you. Best to you and yours. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Great to see you.